There is something profoundly, incurably irritating about geographical anomalies. Those spots on the map vexingly non-contiguous with the country to which they belong. One thinks, for example, of Kaliningrad, Russia's Baltic Sea Oblast, separated from the motherland by the width of Lithuania, Poland and Belarus. Ceuta and Melilla, Spain's bits of Morocco. Cabinda, a province of Angola which appears to have wandered off into the borderland between the two Congos. Northern Ireland, which somehow manages to be claimed, yet unwanted, by both the United Kingdom and the Republic of Ireland. None of these itch with quite the ferocity of Nagorno-Karabakh, which appears depressingly likely to flare up properly again. Since December, the 120,000 or so people who call Nagorno-Karabakh home, and actually generally also call it the Republic of Artsakh, a distinction to which we shall return, has been enduring what amounts to a siege, the only road in and out more or less blocked. Shortages of food, fuel and medicine are being reported. It is a grimly serious crisis, and a deliberately orchestrated one at that. At which point, the backstory. You will be needing, first of all, to unfold your map of the Caucasus. This is the bit of the former Soviet Union, bordered by Russia to the north, Turkey and Iran to the south, the Black and Caspian Seas on either side. Nagorno-Karabakh specifically is a mountainous region within Azerbaijan, inhabited substantially by ethnic Armenians. While the Soviet Union was a thing, this difficulty was, depending on one's perspective, addressed or avoided by declaring Nagorno-Karabakh an autonomous region within the Soviet Socialist Republic of Azerbaijan, maybe somewhat akin to conjure a tragically apt comparison to largely ethnically Albanian Kosovo within Serbia, within Yugoslavia. Footnote, if you think this just isn't complicated enough, Azerbaijan has an exclave of its own, the Nakhchivan Autonomous Republic, maybe 450,000 people squeezed between Armenia and Iran, save for a corridor linking it to Turkey, but that may be a whole other explainer. Anyway... As the Soviet Union unravelled in the late 1980s and as authorities in Armenia and Azerbaijan prepared for independence, both sides sought a clear answer to the Nagorno-Karabakh question. Armenians living in Nagorno-Karabakh wanted the territory transferred to Armenia, an idea on which Azerbaijan was unkeen. The Armenians of Nagorno-Karabakh eventually declared themselves the Sovereign Republic of Artsakh, an idea on which Azerbaijan was even unkeener. At which point, an explainer to the explainer. For the rest of this explainer, we'll call it Artsakh, not really taking any sides here, but it's what the people who live there seem to prefer, plus it's four fewer syllables. War followed, ended in 1994 by an uneasy truce. Skirmishes and shootouts continued, occasionally escalating into something much more serious. A four-day war in 2016, a six-week war in 2020. The latter, largely missed by a world preoccupied by COVID-19, was big. Perhaps 7,000 troops were killed on both sides. The 4,000 or so Artsakh soldiers listed dead or missing amounted to a loss of just over 3% of Artsakh's entire population. The ceasefire agreement which ended this conflict confirmed a victory for Azerbaijan, whose troops retook much of Artsakh as well as adjacent districts previously held by Armenian forces. 
Significantly to any understanding of the latest developments, this agreement was brokered by Russia, which dispatched roughly 2,000 peacekeepers, though there hasn't been much peace to keep. Since the 2020 war ended, at least another 1,100 people have been killed or wounded. And now, very possibly sensing that Russia is otherwise preoccupied, Azerbaijan appears to be trying to press its advantage. Since December, the only highway connecting Artsakh to Armenia, the Lachin Corridor, has been obstructed by people who Azerbaijan insists are environmentalists, concerned about illegal mining by the Armenians of Artsakh. Our demands are that we want to hold the necessary monitoring of the mines that are being illegally exploited. We want to assess what are the damages that have been made up until today. And until we are granted access to hold the need and monitoring, we will be here. Even if this is the case, and just to be clear, it isn't, Azeri authorities, who are not usually known for their indulgence of protest, have proved pointedly dilatory re-doing anything about it, even amid gathering condemnation by pretty much every international body you can think of. Armenia's Prime Minister Nikol Pashinyan this week spoke by phone to President Vladimir Putin of Russia and urged him to take action to reopen the Lachin Corridor, which Russia's peacekeepers are supposed to control. It is fair to assume that this conversation was what wincing diplomats describe as they sponge blood from the carpet as a full and frank exchange of views. Last November, Pashinyan very obviously snubbed Putin during a photo call at a meeting of the Russian-led Collective Security Treaty Organization, complaining that the CTSO had been less than no help in resolving Artsakh's predicament. It is a cynical but reasonable supposition that Azerbaijan's president, Ilham Aliyev, has calculated that a fracas on Russia's southern border is high on the list of things with which Putin cannot be bothered just now. Aliyev will also have calculated that Putin is still seeking to maintain friendly relations with President Recep Tayyip Erdogan of Turkey, Azerbaijan's staunch ally, and perhaps even that Putin feels instinctively more comfortable dealing with autocrats such as Aliyev and Erdogan than he does with rancorous Democrats such as Pashinyan. The 2020 war demonstrated that Azerbaijan holds the military advantage over Artsakh and Armenia. Azerbaijan is now trying to discover whether Russia's war in Ukraine bestows a diplomatic and strategic advantage, which may prove decisive. For Monocle24, I'm Andrew Muller.